Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm DM Celeste. It's true, and I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And today we're going to tie back to episode number 153 Raw Real Monsters Homunculus or Homunculi. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. The group of them, that's terrifying to imagine. The worst. And the guest for that was none other than Sid Shields, which we totally told her she should start using her last name all the time because it's amazing. Yeah, uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> and this one is going to tie back to DMnastics number 126, which I had absolutely no involvement in making because I was in a castle. Oh, yeah. Tell us more, Neil, about and your castle experience. We France. love hearing about it. I uh, guess. And so, thankfully, Rorik stepped up and made number 126, Humunky, around. Uh, 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 <laughs> <but> no. <laughs> yeah, so for this exercise, essentially, we wanted to go ahead and make some magical servants of our own. So we gave folks a couple different questions about how to make their own magical servants. So question number one, what is the servant called? Question number two, what is the creator's relationship with the servant like? Three, what forms of communication are available to them? Four, what abilities does the servant have? Five, how is the servant created? And six, as always, anything else you might want to add? Yes, which of course is always the best because it gives the best and funniest results. The creative freedom to write in your own thoughts yes. and feelings. So which one did you pick from the forms? Okay, so I picked the Lore Delver from Gallican. Uh, so the Lord Delver, I thought, was a really cool, uh, in interesting kind of spin on this magical servant creature. So essentially, when you create a Lord Delver, the caster must choose to forget a memory from their past. And essentially, the more important and cherished the memory, the better the servant is. So if you give the example that Gallican gives here is if you give it the memory of what you ate for breakfast, the servant's going to be kind of uh, schmarmy and lame and not truly effective whereas if you give them you know the last thing your dying mother ever said to you the servant is going to be a lot more effective and powerful in its job and the lord delver is created to obtain information so essentially whoever created it gives it one thing like one artifact or one historical event and the lord delver goes out into the world and spends all of their time gathering every piece of information they can possibly find on this thing and when the summoner or the creator calls it back the creature gives this big information dump of everything they've learned and essentially the creature resets and you can assign it a new task to go out in the world my favorite thing about this specifically is uh, how he described it, because Lord Delvers resemble small humanoids constructed of folded paper covered in arcane rooms. runes, so essentially they're like these little origami creatures that you can send out into the world to go and sneak through libraries and collect information there. And also, to summon a Lord Delver, you must have the brain of a doppelganger, a tentacle of a displacer beast, a scroll of the spell message, and of course, that all-important memory. That's super good. Yeah, I, I love it. I just love imagining this little thing folding to get under doors and sneaking into places and just kind of collecting all of this information uh, based off of something in your head that was important to you. 
the thing it made me think of, and not that this is necessarily a great movie, but do you remember the first Transformer movie where there was the small Decepticon? They would like hide and turn into like a stereo. Yes. I just imagine yeah. that the origami like almost gets caught, but like turns into a book. Or like, yeah, it's like, in, oh, I'm a page. Yeah, it <laughs> turns into like a book end. And then you're like, uh, and look back. And of course, it's gone. Mm-hmm. I think you could play out some really... Really fun scenes. Yeah, that'd be a super mischievous little creature to have, maybe even stalking your party or something. Like, that would be super cool. That's, I really like that because, I mean, flipping it back the other way and having an NPC that gave up this memory and has the Lord Elver seeking out one of the, one of your players, I think. Right, like an item that your character is uh, holding or, Mm -hmm. you know, something that the PCs did, the Lord Elver has to go and retrieve information. Um, I just imagine, again, a little paper airplane, like, chasing the party. (laughs) Yeah. I did. Now I just saw, like, a, like a small crane, like, in the stream next to him as they're walking. (laughs) They're like, what is that? Oh, it's the sentient thing that's stalking us. Yes. I love it. Oh, that's good. Oh, I guess I should ask. And what did you choose, Neil? So I chose the entry from Will. That's that's their... That's the name? That's the whole avatar handle. Solid name. And they came up with the idea of the Felageo. And I was like, man, that's, that's a really unique name. I wonder if it came from something. And then I had the weirdest experience ever. I Google searched Felageo and it returned one result on Google. And it was typing it on the forum oh my gosh you have an original name yeah. you are one of the few in the rare congratulations yeah Will. it is it I, did, I got really creeped out so i was like this has to be it's one baffling. we talk about yeah so the picture they found and used was it's an all-white cat with like angel wings behind it and essentially it looks very nice it does it is also a terrifying creature. It, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that feasts upon feelings of awe, wonder, and primal emotion. Like how a man can be brought to tears at the sight of a field of blooming tulips in a valley at dusk. Uh, or the feeling one gets when a humpback whale leaps out of the water beside you. Whoa. Or when you look upon a hundred meter tall statue of an ancient king. Or when a wife lets out a haunting wail of grief at her husband's funeral. Oh, man. Yeah, and then it just eats those up. Yeah. Nom, nom, nom. It's yum, yum, yum. I, it, it considers it a fancy feast. Ooh. <laughs> it totally looks like the fancy feast cat. It does look that. like the fancy feast cat. It's got these bright green eyes, and it just looks so prim and proper. And so, essentially, the more, I guess the only way to describe it, the more that that emotion and feeling is, the more power it gives to this creature. So the the tasks that it can complete become bigger and better and the way it can communicate with you. And essentially, it's also a conduit for some gods. They will implement, essentially, it starts out as a normal cat. The god's like, nah, here's some wings, go on back. And then it can become this conduit for them. And as always, number six, anything else you want to add? And... So these creatures are fickle in this form as they were in their lives. And if their master is in an, in an adventuring party, it might switch masters to whoever can scratch their favorite spot behind the ears the best, or to whoever slips them extra helpings of dinner under the table. 
Raising your voice against the Philogeal will likely cause it to lose interest in you and start wandering around to seek out a new master. <laughs> well, like they say, all the best fantasy is based in truth. Yes. <laughs> so it uh, preserves its cat-like instincts to yes. the very end. And that, yes. <laughs> Perfect. I, yep, I don't know. That's it. That's all I got. It's beautiful. It was perfect. Okay, but we do have one other very honorable mention here. Um, this is, I know, DM Onesie Night, I recommended something of his last time too, but he's done it again with uh, a creature called My First Flesh Golem, which obeys simple commands as a low-level mindless undead or construct. It can't speak, uh, but what it can do is use gestures with its stumpy, jerky motions and approximations of emotion. It's almost completely useless. It can do a little dance and flop itself cutely over but it is sold as a pre-packaged necromancy kit for young aspiring artists of the flesh uh so it includes thread needle alchemical embalming oil an arcane circle written in ash of nightshade upon vellum made from an albino sheep and a small knife forged at night so <laughs> this is i just absolutely had to give a shout out to this um amazing terrifying cabbage patch kid yeah it's like I don't even know. It's combination like Furby, terrifying doll. It, but it just, also makes me think of like a like a nightmarish build a bear. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm your pet flesh golem. <laughs> it's so good. Thank you for that. Yeah, you've done it again, DM Onesie Night. And with that, we're gonna start lifting the mental weights right now. Lifting weights is what I do. Look at me, lift these weights. The question I have for you, I don't, I mean, it is difficult to start with number one because it is, what is the servant called? But mm -hmm. that's always the hardest thing. So let's start with, what is the creator's relationship with the servant like? Do you have any good ideas? I had, a, I sort of had a silly idea. <laughs> D I'm in. Okay. Go. All right. So rather than, so this is, so when you think of like, I don't know. Okay, so I thought immediately of like Alfred from Batman. So if you just have a servant who's been in your family for so long, and then people in the family start dying off, but there's some kind of magical compact made to keep this familial servant just constantly around forever is sort of where I was going. Oh, I love it. Okay, so that made me think of a robot butler. Yes. So like I a con it. like a construct butler mm -hmm. and that's been in the family for countless years, generations. Yeah, generations. Just he's bound to the bloodline specifically of this family. So the creator's relationship. So we've kind of dealt with that. The my first thought though is to uh, what is a way that it doesn't become too overpowered to like know too much? Mm -hmm. Nope. I know exactly how. Because it only remembers things about the family. Yes, it has It has completely no other touch with, with it doesn't reality. Care. It doesn't care. No, its only purpose is to serve the family. So mm -hmm. it doesn't retain any other information except dealing with the specific family members and their day-to-day -day habits. Yep. It's like, oh, what did what did your great grandfather eat on the third of October? Well, exactly. He's like, in. I know this this old family, you know, grilled cheese recipe from Mima, but I can't tell you about the war three hundred years ago. Perfect. The so, what forms of communication are available to them? Mm. 
So, I mean, obviously it talks or else yes. everything else, <laughs> everything we've said thus far <laughs> kind of falls apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it definitely talks. I, I do imagine, yeah, this very proper sort of butler ingrained with specific manners and of courtesy. Yeah. Well, yeah, I like the idea of only, I mean, essentially only speaks when spoken to and very, you know, and very formal, very you're in reserved i think would be another way to describe it oh that's fun so what (laughs) abilities does the servant have i think it can do uh simple tasks for its master so i think it has abilities like mending and then i also think it has it can do of course everything an unseen servant can do except it is seen uh maybe it has the ability to actually become unseen by the way what I'm going to jump in right there because we're on basically the same wavelength. That's what we're going to call it. The scene servant. The scene servant. I love it. It's perfect. Yep. (laughs) Boom. Yeah. So it's the scene servant. Uh, Yeah. So it can perform minor tasks like mending or maybe even minor conjuration. So it's like, oh, here's some water for you or but only specifically for its master. Yeah. And I would really I would really want to like reflavor some of that of like, you know, so it can do mending, but it I mean, it's like it knows how to sew. So, you know, it like pulls out a kit and sews things up for you and does like a really good job and then have it, you know, kind of reflavor some of those cantrips. I think that'd be a... Yeah, maybe it has like a chest cavity, sort of like a Harvard's handy sack that where it just has a bunch of items inside of it that it can use. I li- yeah, and I like the idea of like kind of looking towards cantrips as kind of the set of skills that it could have and maybe putting it to your players of you can choose five cantrips that this thing can do like light because it has you know whatever power source inside. So it just like opens up its on you know, like it- the side of its chest and then now you can see. Yes. <laughs> so how is the servant created? Hmm. What do you think? Okay, well, it definitely has to be bound to the family somehow. Um, And then it also has to be forged or made, since it is robotic. Ooh, maybe it's gifted to a couple as like a wedding present. And so when they're making their wedding bands, part of the metal that goes into this forged relationship also becomes part of this robot and then from then on, it's actually directly tied to the lineage that comes from this union. I like it. So the other thing I thought of to kind of tie it back further to like the family kind of thing is that when someone in the family with like a magical affinity it go like passes away, they give some of that power to this construct before they pass i like it yeah it's imbued there Mm -hmm. you know there's a little bit of grandpa in this thing that keeps it watching over the family oh i love it so anything else that we would want to add to the scene servant and i'm just imagining like a go-go gadget sort of robot butler which just makes me so very happy what does it wear (laughs) oh man one is definitely got to have, which is silly to think, but it definitely has to have a metal mustache. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Does it wear coattails? Is it always immaculate no matter what? Yes, situation? but it's all metal. Like it's just yes. fashioned that way. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm good. Anything else from you? Yes. So we kind of tossed, you know, and tossed the idea that it would, there's a bit of the essence of each 
person that passes. I think there's an off chance that like random personalities show up on occasion. Ooh, yeah, yeah, it like pops through. Mm-hmm. And it would, and like the robot gets very frustrated by this because it wants to be so formal, but often these like weird tendencies will pop out that it can't control. Oh, yeah. <laughs> weird Uncle Albert. There mm-hmm. he is. Yep. <laughs> I love it. Uh, guaranteed to be a lot of fun for a group of PCs. That's amazing. Okay. I say we do another one. Are you ready? I have one idea. I feel like I've really thought this one through. So my idea is to have the familiar be connected to the person, but not just a little bit. In fact, I think that it should be some kind of prosthetic. The And the idea that like, it's, I mean, it's kind of messed up, but it happens. Your player loses an arm, they lose a leg, and then they have this familiar attached to them in some way. And then like that relationship of back and forth and you're know, looking towards some of the prosthetics in the real world and you know, turning technology into magic because I watched Thor, the movie recently. Uh-huh. And the idea of like that feedback between you know, the nerve endings and everything that is still there. And now this creature that you've created that is in place of it. Oh, I like the darker road of their, you know, and let's say it's my right arm and I find this process. And so I risk losing the arm forever and giving it up to, you know, enact this ritual or join through XYZ steps. And now I have this thing unto itself, you know, and it could, and you're know, also thinking about the idea of what part of me dealt like emotionally or intellectually also enters this item. And I mean, it's ang- it's angry. So it's just like a shaking fist at everyone all the time. I- <laughs> or it tries to attack its own creator. <gasps> yes. Mm. So yeah, you have to work with the will of the, the appendage and with you to keep it happy potentially. Oh, okay. Uh, yep. So we've talked about, so the homunculus, why they, potentially share a link or what the relationship is like how do you imagine this helping um a person once they have this appendage like what's the advantage to having this um advantage on no the advantage is advantage yes i see what you did there uh but i mean it could be the kind of thing where you have designated skill checks that now receive advantage because you know and you have this arm that i mean is it go go gadget arm or right. it's a leg that you're able to push off of so you can jump and do athletics and things like that uh, farther i mean the other idea is having something that replaces a different appendage you know it could be you know you look like phantom of the opera in a way and so then on perception checks or investigation or something like that so i think I think gearing it towards advantage on certain checks um, and then whether or not you make that a limited time, short or long rest involved, I think would be a really cool way to do it. I also like the idea of it having its own hit point pool, like for determining. So so maybe that means like if the the owner or the, the, the master is damaged, like this appendage can maybe still function 
without their direct use, like something like that. So the idea of having this other creature just because it's attached to you doesn't necessarily mean that it's a whole separate being. Yeah. Well, and the you well the idea that uh, there could be some transference back and forth with the damage that's taken, but also the idea that you know. In, standard healing i guess we could say may not affect this new thing that is attached to you it could be that you have to do certain rituals to get that health to come back like repair it almost yeah okay so we've talked about oh how it's created oh what form of communication i think that would pretty much have to be non-verbal unless there was some other That does make it a little creepier, but I mean, you could, you definitely could. But again, I, I think going back to that idea of that feedback, um, you know, and, and, and that instead of it being kind of a one-way thing, it's more of a two-way mm. street. In that, you know, the feedback that you get can possibly convey emotion and can convey different different aspects of what the creature, if you will, the homunculi, is feeling. Right, like if you touch something and you have this homunculi arm, maybe there is still some sensory feedback that happens like telepathically. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, I mean, definitely some sort of code between you and the homunculi. I mean, if you're thinking of, you know, and again, going back more towards an arm, it could be some sort of sign language. It could be some sort of Morse code something to that effect that essentially you can it can communicate to you and you know does it understand you saying common or are you essentially just tapping away with both hands to like communicate back and forth in a totally different language that maybe you have to develop maybe you have to spend time with this thing to to unlock uh how to communicate with it oh definitely and i i mean that could be a, a real really interesting way to get more out of it the longer you have it you know mm. in in essence a longer attunement process yeah. long Something form like attunement that. i love it Ooh. okay i say we've done it though long form attunement and with that long form attunement we have done it so if you have any ideas on how to add homunculi to your game go ahead and email us at dmnastics at gmail.com or find us on twitter at dmnastics and for everything else on the network, you can always go to blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. But let's head to the post-workout cooldown and stretch with the light bulb. Light bulb. So today on the light bulb, we have an extremely special guest who is walking through the woods as we speak. And I want you all to know this is a podcast, but he is having a glorious hair day. Cameron, <laughs> welcome Absolutely to the podcast. Incredible. And of course, we are going to be talking about Arch Villain Gauntlets, which is currently on Kickstarter, already funded. And I, I'm just going to let you take over, Kent. Cameron? Sure. So uh, what we're doing is we're trying to bring the character sheets back to the center of attention at the table. Um, something happened in the last you know, several years where the table started getting covered with all kinds of stuff. And it's all it's like awesome, nice, you know, people have their wooden magnetic dice towers and they've got their like, uh, you know, nice terrain from various places and it's all painted and it's like very immersive. It's kind of the experience that I've been seeing is tables have become more immersive and you see this on the streaming sites as well. With, you know, there's cool stuff going on, but people still have this piece of paper in front of them or they have a tablet, you know, kind of either way it, it, it's, 
it's the it's the biggest connection people have to the game and their character, and yet it's the least thematic uh, sort of element of the game. And so Konstantinos and I was my uh, the co-founder. Uh, the two of us were were trying to figure out how we could make character sheets awesome and uh, really build something around them. And so we played with a bunch of ideas of, you know, what could be practical, what could be, you know, make them cool, what could be cost effective. And, and what we came to was this concept of a, of a, of a character sheet template with a changeable cover on it. So uh, we decided it had to be kind of ridiculous. It had to be awesome enough to sort of justify. Uh, and so they're, they're kind of over the top. Um, they're really, they're, they're definitely artistic pieces. They're not, um, you know, super streamlined. Uh, they're, 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 uh, they're functional, uh, but they're also very, uh, what's the word? I'm thematic, I guess, is the word keeps coming, coming to mind. Um, and so we've got, we decided to make one for each of the main classes, uh, each of the most common classes, and we're doing one generic dragon one, um, so that you basically take your character sheet, uh, you slide it in with a tray, and you can see through the template all of the, the writing and the, the elements of the character sheet, and it's all nicely templated, and these are going to be hand-painted. I mean, then you've got a, a cover that goes over the whole thing, and it only shows sort of what you really need to play. And we found that you only need a few elements to play the game for the most part. You need your stats, you need your uh, you know, combat uh, stats and, and abilities, and you need your skills. And then if you need more, you can always open it up and have a look. But um, for the most part, your character sheet's sitting there using 10% of it, uh, and it's not really looking that awesome. So we found a way to make them awesome. And then there's a spell sheet on the back, so you can put a sheet on the back of the tray, flip it over, and then you can you know, edit your spells if you have, if you have spells there. And yeah, so the, the idea was novel enough that we started looking into, like, maybe this thing is patentable. Um, so I did a lot of research going through patents, and there's a lot of weird patents out there as far as, like, you know, documents and papers and binders and um, you know, don't realize that half the stuff that we take for granted in stationery is actually patented, like this three-ring binder, or at least it was at some point. And so um, we put together a, a patent application, which takes a lot of work and lawyers and expense, um, and, and, we managed, and we fired off a uh, provisional patent that we think is pretty strong. And so, yeah, we've got a patent pending, beautiful design uh, for making your character sheets awesome. And, and you saw yourself. We, we took them to France. We wanted to really kind of show off the thematic element. So when we did D&D in the castle, um, we, brought the, the, we brought them there and did a big unveiling in the chapel and took some photos of them around um, to, to, to sort of show them off. And, and I know, Neil, you got a chance to, to look at the prototypes when they were there. And the prototypes were pretty like crazy. We used 16 micron polyjet. And people don't realize, like a lot of people are saying, well, why don't you just release the, you know, the, the, the files so we can just 3D print them ourselves. And the problem, the issue is, is that the envelope size that you need for these things is really large. So, um, you know, getting them 3D printed costs thousands of dollars each. And I don't think that's really what people want. So when we looked at the manufacturing, we're saying, okay, well, how do we actually make these things? We want, we didn't want to ever sacrifice on their general awesomeness because that's really the only way anyone's going to want one of these things is because it's so awesome that it, puts your you know makes your character sheet kind of like come to life so we looked at the other uh you know the, the closest proxy is our figurines so um so we said okay we want to use the same method of making these as people do for figurines but then if you look at if you had a figurine that was you know 13 inches tall 
um, and had moving parts and like multiple surfaces, I, it's, it's, it's really difficult and expensive. And so we went through several domestic and foreign manufacturers and we eventually, um, are, we found a couple of partners that work out of China, uh, one of which is, does uh, very high-end uh, collectibles for Marvel, etc., and had the kind of quality that, that we were happy with. Um, so we're going to, that we're working with. So, uh, we're, we've got that all locked in, but overall it's going to be a heck of a, of a job. And the other aspect is the painting doing these things. What we did is we took the blanks and we sent them to Sergio Calvo in Spain, who in my opinion is one of the best fig painters in the world. Um, and got him to do the, uh, the masters. So he painted, uh, our masters, uh, the four, four classes, uh, with his amazing style using artificial light. Like it, it's, they're awesome. You can see the photos on the webpage at archbonegames.com. Um, and so we're going to use those as the master. But the problem is, is that it's one thing to have this nice master painted by Sergio Calvo, but how do you actually get that into people's hands? That's, you know, people want that level of detail. So we're going to be sending the masters to China to be uh, hand repoed uh, or reproed, re reproductionized. So the, the painting itself costs more than, uh, anyways, I want to tell you the exact cost breakdown, but it's, it's freaking expensive. So we're doing this super high-end figurine injection molding, uh, figurine quality level injection molding, and then we're hand painting them um, in order to make sure that, you know, the end product is basically as awesome as possible um, and still, you know, reasonable. Although, you know, price, what's considered reasonable these days for gaming accessories, keeps going up and up. So we're we're, we're having fun with it, and I think we're making a product that is really going to appeal to something that players can bring to the table. Most of the stuff that's on the table right now, the fancy dice towers and terrain and, and DM screens or whatever that people have, they're all brought by the DM, and it puts a lot of burden on the game to someone who wants to host the game. Um, and, you know, aside from Cheetos, there's not a lot you can bring as a player to really kind of you know, dress up the game. Some people dress up, maybe they do some cosplay, but not everyone's into that. So thought this, why not dress up your character sheet, have, you know, get a gauntlet, um, either the generic dragon one or one of the, the ones that's optimized for the classes. We've got a fighter, a paladin, a wizard, and a rogue. Um, and, you know, put your character sheet in that. And then when you put it on the table, you're actually, you're creating, a, you know, you're bringing something to the table that's more than just a sheet of paper. And then the the, the small additional benefit is that you can just use a blank sheet of paper if you want. You don't even need a character sheet. I personally never have enough character sheets printed, so I find it handy. I can just drop a piece of paper in and uh, use that because the template serves as the actual character sheet. That is amazing. Well, thank See, you. I knew you knew all about it. I know, I know <laughs> lots of things. Our Kickstarter went live on October 1st and was funded in 16 hours. We were trying to get 12 because it sounds cool to say like, Funded in 12 hours, but for some reason it just hovered just under the, the line for a couple hours there and finally went over. So still, 16 hours is pretty awesome. And what we decided to do was unlock all the designs. So it's really important that people know when you check it out, it used to be that every, you know, X dollars we would unlock a new design. And we threw that out the window and said, no, like we've, there's obviously demand for this product. Obviously, um, you know, if we build it, they will come. So we've just... Uh, we've thrown it out the window and said, you know, all, all bets are off. Any, any design you want is the, any of the five designs, the core designs, the dragon, the fighter, the rogue, the cleric, and the wizard. Um, so we're, we're, we're really excited. And uh, we're trying to think of additional things to throw in there. We're thinking of doing dice, uh, doing a partnership for, for add-ons. 
We've also got add-ons for, uh, you know, uh, carrying cases and a couple other things like that. You can buy extra covers. Actually, pro tip. So one of the pledges is for five uh, different styles. You can buy all five. But that's actually five full gauntlets with the, the template case and the cover. What you can do is you can cheat. So you're getting, you're getting the pro tip here. You can just get one gauntlet and then use the, the add-ons to get four extra covers. And that'll save you probably like three, 400 bucks. Um, because the five, the five pack is $850, which is a little steep for a lot of people. You can save a good chunk of that just by buying the covers individually because the covers are replaceable and you can just replace the cover as you like with the base. So that's a pro tip. I realized after we launched that I probably should have had a pledge like that in there, but it was too late. Kickstarter doesn't let you change it. So, um, we'll treat it as a pro tip as a hack. There you go learning all kinds of new stuff. But like you said, I've seen these in person. They are amazing. I think one of the other benefits that you hadn't mentioned, but you've undoubtedly thought of is like people lose their character sheets on a regular basis. I straight up have multiple players where I'm like, cool, the session is over. You give that to me now because I know what's going to happen and I don't want to deal with reverse engineering it. But I mean, if you have something on this level, like in which it truly is a next level item to bring to your table and these are i mean they are gorgeous i mean even if they weren't painted they would be impressive but like you said the paint jobs that are on these are staggering i yeah i'm i'm looking at the cleric one right now and just uh, i just i just need it <laughs> it's so beautiful i'm glad you said yeah uh, jeremy crawford said the same thing he he saw the prototypes and and his first he's just like immediately had it in his hands he's like i can take this with me right i can take this i can take this back to seattle right <laughs> Right? This is mine now, I was like, right? Uh, that's the only one in existence. Please put it down slowly, because uh, it was also made of. Uh, uh, it wasn't made of uh, the ABS. The final ones were going to be made in ABS plastic, which was super tough. These ones were made in resin, which is a bit brittle. So uh, he put it down slowly. But yes, many coveted the the gauntlets as as much to our excitement. They're, we're also selling them uh, as unpainted. So you can buy if you're a painter. We're selling them with paint kits. So you can buy it unpainted, get a paint kit as an add-on, and the, the colors have been selected to match the, the colors that are shown. Um, and if, if you want to check out, we're also going to work with painters afterwards to demo painting methods. So, so if you're a, a fig painter and you've got a YouTube channel, uh, contact us. We'll hook you up with some paints from Army Painter, and you can paint them and, and record what you're doing and then we'll sell, you know, uh, we'll sell bundles of paint to match that, so you can uh, follow follow your favorite. Uh, but this this is all details to be to be worked out later. For now, we're just selling paints and the uh, and the and the plain unpainted covers and gauntlets. Perfect. Well, the next question I have, of course, is where can people go? Where do you want them to go? Tell them where to go. <laughs> Okay, so you can look for Archvillain Gauntlets on Kickstarter, and that's probably the best way because if you go through Kickstarter, Kickstarter's algorithms like that, and they go, oh, people are looking for this thing on our site. Um, and so that helps us and helps make sure that we, um, that, we, that we get farther on our Kickstarter. If you can't remember that, just go to archvillaingames.com, um, and there's a link right there on the front page to, to the Kickstarter either way and love to hear your thoughts even if even if you don't buy one you know drop a comment tell us how cool they are um that'd be great uh anything like that 
Definitely. And we will have a link in the show notes that you can go to as well. And then could they follow Twitter accounts or things like that to shout at you, shout at you directly? Yes, uh, definitely our Instagram where we like to show off our, our products and pictures. So you can check us at archvillaingames underscore US or maybe it's just archvillain underscore US. I always get my handles mixed up. Um, I think it's archvillain underscore US uh, on Instagram and archvillain. Oh, you can tell I'm not the Twitter guy. It's Archville and Archville and Games on uh, uh, Archville and Games on Twitter, but uh, you might have to fact check that. And if it's wrong, you might have to edit that out. And... I would, if it were me and I were going to Twitter, I would definitely go to at Archville and underscore US. But that's ah, just me. that's the Twitter. Okay, so I had the Instagram and the Twitter mixed up. Yep, perfect. Well, I mean, I think that'll do it, but. Cameron, thank you for coming on and sharing this amazing product with us. And hopefully you will have people swarming to your Kickstarter after they hear this. I am very excited. Do you mind if I plug the castle again for next year? No, no, I don't mind at all. So you should totally do that. Okay. And I, I know you're currently not committed to coming, but you know, if there's any way we can get you to come, we're actually going to be launching two more castles. So there will be three castles. And the, the castles we're talking about is D&D in a castle. Uh, it's an event. Uh, we did this year in one castle in France and had special guests, Satine Phoenix, Rudy Rutenberg, Jeremy Crawford, uh, Neil Powell, uh, etc. cetera, uh, James Intracasso, the GM Tim, Elisa Teague, uh, ran amazing games, these three day long games. Uh, and next year we're going to be uh, launching a couple more. I, I so this year, in addition to the original castle, which is already sold out, we have two more castles. One is going to be run by Nerder Key, including, uh, which is Dave Fryant, Ted Adams, Doug Vahovic. Um, you may know them from their, uh, their famous podcasts and uh, content at nerderkey.com. Then we have a new group, but old names, uh, known as the, the Uncommon Trust, which is, includes uh, B. Dave Walters, Poisel, D'Artagnan, Al Swin, Al Quinn, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, Mark, Kelly, and Eric, uh, and they are, have recently formed their own channel, and they're going to do lots of streaming, so you'll be able to come hang out with them if you pick their castle, or Nerderkey if you pick their castle. Now, we have supporting DMs at the Nerderkey castle include V from The Crafting Muse, and Lisa Chen, who's the community manager for the Adventures League, and for the DMs Guild, uh, she's a D&D writer and DMs Guild Adept and producer and host of Behold Her podcast and a cast member of online TTRPG games on the D&D Twitch and Encounter Roleplay. So between the three castles, there should be something for you. Check it out at dndinacastle.com. And registration will open soon, but the best way to make sure you get in, it has sold out before tickets have gone on sale. So far, last year and this year, the, the event has sold out and the, t the, the castle this year sold out before the tickets went on sale because we made it available to last year's guests and they all signed up again. That tells you a, how great the event was that everyone who came last year, just about everyone is coming again this year. Um, and then the second line, the second way to get in is to be on the wait list. And then if you're not on the wait list, you have to be on the mailing list. So the chances of actually going to D and D in a castle, are very slim if you're not at least on the wait list. It's basically not going to happen. You're not going to be able to, you can't, you know, a few months from now be like, oh, neat, I heard about that D&D &D in a castle thing. You're not going to go unless you're on that wait list. So go to dndinacastle.com, put your email on there just to make sure that you get the notice of when the, when the tickets are going to be available and it's going to be first come, first serve. 
um, and it will sell out, I promise you. So uh, yeah, I just want to give everyone that heads up because we get a lot of people contacting us being like, oh, I, I see the castle is sold out, but it never went on sale. It's like, yep, you had to be on the list or you didn't even know the tickets were going to go on sale. Yep, go check it out. It is amazing. I know firsthand. Firsthand. <laughs> and Neil, Neil is amazing. I know firsthand. So. Aha. Uh, oh, you guys. I have tricked yet another. <laughs> Not at all. No, do you want to tell us a bit about what it was like for you last year and, and what the game was like and what was fun and what wasn't? Totally. So I would say the best word in a good way would be overwhelming in that, I mean, that's as simple as simple as I can put it, because you can even in a way convince yourself that it's not as big as it is when you're inside the castle for an extended period of time. And then you walk outside and you are just slapped in the face again. Oh, don't forget, you're in a giant castle. This is amazing. What is happening to my life? And then you go back inside and play more D&D. Right. Nothing can be wrong with that. And what was your game like? Uh, it was a 14th level game in Eberron ran by Satine. And I think the best part was that the end, I would say that there was an in-character discussion for probably 30 minutes while we were basically choosing to, I mean, long story short, go back and kill Hitler or not. <laughs> and Satine just sat there and just Eberron, literally... Hitler kind of like started crying because we chose to go back and try and reset the world and take another shot at it. Nice. That sounds pretty awesome. I'm glad I love hearing stories because I wasn't able to go to all the games. So I, I hear all these cool stories that people, people would share them at mealtimes and stuff. This year is going to be at Langley Castle in Northumberland, which is in uh, Northern England. It's a 13th century keep. Uh, it's gorgeous. We're going to do um, tents outside. So we've got these, like, it's kind of like, think of, you know, the glamping tents from, uh, you know, Coachella or, I don't know, you guys have Glastonbury, I guess, there. Do you have, like, tents at Glass? I don't know. Anyways, we're, we're doing these, this cool, we're calling it the encampment. And that helps bring the cost down a little bit for people who... Uh, you know, aren't staying in the castle. Um, and then we're going to have seven tables going uh, and it's going to be awesome and everyone should go and everyone should sign up so we can do more castles. The more, the more demand there is for this event, the more castles we can do. And really, I just want to show the Europeans how they're supposed to be using their castles because they keep doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> They've got all these castles and they turn them into museums. I get it's hard because, you know, it's just this old thing and you don't want to tear it down or anything. You want to preserve it. But there's no one really using them. They're just walking through them with audio tours. Like they're not being like actually enjoyed or used. And, and I feel like D and D in a castle is really the, what we should be doing with all the European castles that they have all these beautiful old castles and they can be directly enjoyed by, by playing D and D in them and staying them and having a bit of a, a beautiful vacation. You know, our, our direct competition is, is cruises in my opinion because look at the same amount of money that it would take for a couple to go on a cruise and have a nice experience ah, you can go to a castle and play D&D &D with some awesome people for for kind of the same price so I think we can uh, we can all band together and show the Europeans how so I mean I, I don't mean any disrespect to the Europeans I'm sure there's a lot of Europeans <laughs> listening to this being like yeah we must show our people the way and we must take back <laughs> our castles so that's really my end goal total global domination through castles perfect and on that note, uh, we're going to turn out the lights and head out of the gym. 
But before we go, I want to implore you, the listener, to join up on the forums and take part in these challenges and exercises, as well as all of the other amazing conversations being had. To do that, head over to dungeonmastersblock.freeforums.net and try some gymnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? Can I trust you will add your own cardio? Yeah, no, don't put me down for cardio. What are you doing? Horizontal running.